Welcome to a Words, Beats, and Life podcast. This episode features the Alternative Winter Break series. What's going on, family? It's yours truly, Mazi Mutafa, and I'm really excited about this conversation we're about to have. I'm blessed to be here with two of my personal inspirations, uh, and my history with each of them goes back uh, quite some time. The very first uh, festival that was hosted at the University of Maryland, the Words Beats and Life Festival, uh, our first guest, Mr. Davey D., was a part of a tour that was happening around the country with our good friend Rosa Clemente and the members of Dead Prez. And so they came. It's actually my first time meeting him. Um, to learn more about his work and to talk about the power of journalism and telling the stories of what was happening in the streets through the music, but also through the written word. So first up, I've got my good friend, Mr. Davey D. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, good brother. What's up, everybody in the audience? And not to be, you know, be saving the the second for the second. (laughs) We've got our good friend, Jeff Chang, uh, got the knowledge the knowledge, the editor volume. Uh, the plus, elder, elder statesman. <laughs> no doubt. My big brother. <laughs> he with us to talk about uh, some of the work that he's been doing for quite a long time. And, and we're, we're going to get into some of the, the personal stories. Um, Mr. Jeff Chang. Hey, hey. What's up? It's good to see you, Mozzie. Um, man, it's been a long time, but it's good to see you. No doubt. And I, I forgot to mention Jeff Chang was actually the was instrumental in helping me put together our, our West Coast teaching, which David D was also at, dropping the knowledge from the audience and from the stage about the the history of West Coast hip hop. Um, we've also been fortunate enough to publish both of these gentlemen in our journal. Um, as you know, we're doing something a little different this go round, which is instead of just interviewing you all to talk about the work that you do. I I really wanted to invite you all here as a part of the inaugural alternative winter break, um, which is inspired by a spring break that we normally host, specifically focused around visual arts and performing arts. And so we decided to do an alternative winter break focused around the media arts. So we're interviewing podcasters, bloggers, journalists, authors, et cetera, to really talk about how it is that you became the people that you are ideally to inspire young people all across the world to chase their dreams, to tell their stories, and to root their work in the communities that they're from. Um, And so to that end, I've I've started all these conversations off the same way, asking about family, which is something we rarely get asked about. Um, But I wanted to know, for each of you, how, how much knowledge do you have about your own families? How many generations back can you trace your own lineage? You want to go first, Jeff? No, you're my older brother, so you should go first. No, 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 no. We already established that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I defer to my elders, brother. <laughs> it's a it's a long-running joke we have, Mozzie, yeah. about uh, each other. But, um, you know, let me just start. Um, we, get, we can trace our family lineage back quite a bit. Um, before Roots came out in the 70s, you know, my uncle um, wanted to find out the history of our family. And he traced it back, you know, and saw where there was, you know, lineage in 
indigenous communities. He traced it back to um, certain parts of Africa, and he came up with a um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? A tree, a, 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 a family tree that we were able to look at and, and kind of see. So there's knowledge. I don't have everything completely memorized, but definitely I um, was fortunate enough to um, know my grandparents, know my great grandparents, and know my great great grandparents before that. Um, many of the people on my mother's side lived to be, you know, I think we had an Aunt Ella who lived to be 110. You know, and so she died in the 70s. So you do the math. So you're talking about somebody who was born in the 1800s. Wow. You know, my grandma um, passed at 94, 95, and so um, years old. And so that would that might have been about 10 years ago. So I just remember her recounting stories of being in Harlem and dancing at the Savoy Manor and all those types of things. So mm-hmm. the history is rich on my mother's side. Um, it's in Philadelphia, you know, that there's a, you know, a big part of it, New York, where we're from. Um, it wasn't so much, I don't think there was a lot of people that we, we saw the lineage going down South is on my father's side. We saw that lineage in South Carolina and Atlanta. So there were big, you know, in Georgia. So there's a big part of it on my father's side in Georgia, um, and in South Carolina. So that's how we kind of, uh trace that back and I don't have it going back as far as I do on my mother's side but um, I did know my grandparents and great grandparents on that side as well I love this question Mozzie and I mean I, Dave I didn't know that I didn't know that stuff about you that's amazing Makes oh. so many questions for you now um, just on that you know um, yeah. it's amazing stuff yeah it's a beautiful question Mozzie my you know my family uh i i come i hail from honolulu hawaii so uh i come from chinese and native hawaiian descent so on the native hawaiian side you know we've been there for thousands of years uh, on the islands and then on my chinese side we've uh we've been in the islands for at least seven generations um that i've got traced and then i was lucky enough to to know uh um uh this this person i met in college he introduced to himself to me as as my uncle uh and he had literally the family books you know in china you can trace your your lineage they they try to trace the lineage back to uh, the emperors and so he had access to the books and literally gave us um a lineage that went back went back thousands of years and that just blew my mind um so i've been really blessed to be able to have that sense of deep rootedness, uh, both in the land, the Aina that I grew up on um, uh, in Hawaii, and uh, and and to know about the you know my roots going back uh, to uh, Chinese soil. Um, so uh, it's something that we pass on to our kids, and something that um, you know Dave and I both have this really strong um, sense of of family and passing on, and that's partly I think. Uh, why we do the work that we do. Yeah. I would agree. I, I wonder, to, to bring it more current, um, could, could you all share the stories of your parents, what they did, how they met, where, where they were from? If Yeah, that kind of stuff. So when it comes to parents, um, 
you know, I come of the age where most parents were divorced, <laughs> you know, and so when when I'm talking about my father in the first part, we're talking about my biological father. When we talk about father, then we're talking about my stepfather who was with me, you know, when I probably when I was about four or five. And and so when you start looking at it from that lens, you understand that. You know, growing up in New York, you have a lot of relatives who ain't blood relatives. You know, you have a lot of aunts and uncles who aren't really blood aunts and uncles, but they are part of the family. And the lore and the customs and traditions are embedded in in what you have. So, you know, I have, um, you know, I have my mom and then I have my quote unquote stepfather, which means that I have, you know, three siblings that would be umbrellaed under that, you know, my sister and 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 it was a stepsister and stepbrother. Uh, my uh, stepfather was a Russian Jew, you know, so that's a whole other twist in it, but it wasn't a practicing Russian Jew. You would have probably thought he was Puerto Rican if you saw him. So there's a whole history with that and, you know, born and raised in the Bronx and, you know, just a rough and tumble guy. So I came up in a household with that, uh, with, with that whole history. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and even with that, there's a sharing of history and memories and traditions and things that you take on. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of how that works for me. When I think about the extended uncles and God family, you know, then it becomes really, really rich. Um, and it expands with, you know, my, my godmother who was good friends with Malcolm X and, would take those stories and sit me down and be like, when me and Malcolm were sitting here on 148th, you know, not bragging, you know, because they were really tight. You know, I would hear those stories and her ex-husband was somebody who was into music. So he was doing a whole music um, uh, book, you know, breaking stuff down because at that time, we're talking about the 70s, he felt like that history wasn't there. So the point that I'm getting is that I've always been around family members who were like emphasizing that it's important to pass the history along because your history, whether you're black, your history, whether you're from New York or living in the Bronx or, or what have you, th those stories ain't being told. And so I've always had people around me that told those stories and uh, expected us to um, pass them along. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I definitely have a, a lot in common in that. In, in Hawaii, we call it Hanai, like you're adopted, like you have, yeah. you have your cousins and you have what they call your Calabash cousins. Yeah. Um, and it's really like this community that, that goes back generations. And that's the whole thing. Like in Hawaii, the, you know, the thing was like, if you did something on a Saturday night, they'd know on Sunday morning, yeah. everybody would know. Um, so that was actually difficult when I started tagging and becoming a, a, graf a little graffiti, you know, kid or whatever. Um, and my mom worked for the police department, but that's a whole other story. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, just to say, you know, my parents, my dad, um, you know, my my dad grew up um, in the city. He grew up on the city side of the island. My, my mom grew up on the countryside of the island. Um, my dad grew up in in one house with like 15 people in it at different points uh in like a, a one bedroom house and then they after the war uh had a little um soda business and 
um, did well enough to be able to move to the top of the hill. Um, and uh, so that's how they kind of grew up, him and his six siblings. And then my mom um, grew up on the countryside of the island. And, you know, my my uh, my grandparents were, were farmers. Um, my mom ended up, you know, growing up uh, uh, in, in a, a little town on the windward side. Um, and uh, they met and um, kind of the the rest is history um uh you know we came along uh, a little bit later um but yeah it's it's uh it, these are the kinds of things i love these these questions because these are the kinds of things that really shape us and um having that responsibility to be able to hold those stories to be able to pass it on uh to all our cousins to all my all my nieces and nephews like the the dozens upon dozens of them um and then the calabash nieces and nephews and the dozens upon dozens upon dozens of those um, is is something that I share with Dave. Yeah. In, in terms of um, keeping stories, you know, my family broke up um, when I was about 13 or 14. And one of the things that my mom said is to keep a journal, mm. you know, and she said, keep a journal because one day you're going to need it. And it's going to be the thing that holds you together. Um and she was like, she encouraged me to keep it very descriptive and, you know, literally just capture the moments. So for me, you know, all that knowledge and understanding what was going on with my family um, just had me, you know, writing in very great detail, some of which you've seen, you know, about what was going on at particular points in time. Um, so for me, that point in time, you know, and this comes to your you know, the extended family, uh, people often say, you know, you hear the saying, hip hop was my family. It really was. That was for me, a, a, an extended parent, an extended uncle, the community around that in the seventies, very magical. Um, and something when I look back on my journals, even though I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the wherewithal at such a young age to be like, I'm writing to chronicle hip hop, you yeah. know, you just wrote what was going on, but you're also, you're writing your experiences. Oh, I'm at this party. <laughs> These people are dancing a certain way. Uh, I'm seeing this, you know, I'm on the subway. So capturing all that flavor in that moment um, was important because, you know, years later, first of all, you forget about it. And then you go back and you read and go, oh yeah, that's what we did. That's what it was. That's how we said it. And those were the things that took place. And so, um, one of the things, you know, you, we talk about, you know, your family, but the culture in the neighborhoods, especially in a place like New York, that becomes an important part of your upbringing and your shaping. You know, the older kids on your block become de facto older brothers and older cousins. Um, and, you're, and jumping so, ahead, you're jumping ahead, you're jumping ahead. Oh, I'm, well, you know, <laughs> you're literally on my like my fifth question right now. <laughs> but it all questions, bro. <laughs> but it all it all morphs together, though. <laughs> let's, let's let's back just a little. I want to pull it back just a little bit because I want to ask okay. if, if either of you remember your er your earliest recollection of doing something creative. Each of you are, are artists, in addition to being journalists. Um, your earliest recollection of doing something creative. So my my earliest recollection are twofold. I would write the titles down to my dreams, 
you know, I'd have these vivid dreams and then I would title them. And then I, um, I attempted, and I still have those manuscripts from seven and eight years old. I wanted to write a book um, that had, uh, that talked about superheroes that I had made up, you know? And, uh, you know, one of them was the war between Sus and Crone, and there was a hero named Red Star and his brother, um, I'm, I'm gonna remember his brother's name, um, but I used to make Christmas cards with those superheroes on there. And I've actually still to this day have the books where I tried to write the stories and was like, one day I'm going to write a book, you know, with these things, you know, never got around to it, but they're still there. So maybe, maybe my kids will pick them up <laughs> and do it. But that, that would, that would probably be the earliest creations of actually just penning something and then trying to draw that. Yeah. Uh, I used to, my dad would bring home like these big stacks of um, computer paper when they used to be like really wide and they'd be folded together and all that kind of stuff. You put it, you'd have to feed it into the machine. That's how old I am, but I'm not as old as David. Um, but the thing is, is like with these papers, you just had like these rolls of the paper. And so uh, just like Dave, I used to make up superheroes and draw them and you could you you would literally fold it over and there'd be another page and you fold it over so you could make these stories um mess around with doing a little bit of you know stick figure animation go like that with it you know flip it through and stuff um so those are the kinds of things i i think uh i was getting into really young and then the i i i i actually i remember um we used to love radio listen just to radio yeah me and my friends um would come together and we'd we'd like write down our top five, top ten, top twenty songs each week, and then I would just compile them, and we made a magazine out of it. We passed it around the classroom and stuff like that on the under when the teacher wasn't looking. So those those magazines that we had started, that was probably fourth grade, um, were like radio song lists and comics and and stories that people would write on binder paper, and that's that was like the beginning of journalism for for me actually. I wonder, did you all know that about each other? That as children, you all made lists of things? Nah. Well, I did. I, I, I didn't know what you did, Dave. I, I mean, I read about it when I was growing up about what Jeff was doing. So that's how I was able to find out these stories. No, True I story, didn't know. I, Dave, Dave, like in college, this is when we met in college. And maybe I'm skipping ahead a little bit. But Dave was, was and still is one of the biggest, most important DJs and hip hop chroniclers and, and journalists pioneering uh, in the Bay. And he used to um, have a radio show uh, at night that sometimes I go over and, and see. Uh, but he, he used to compile like these lists of hip hop records um, weekly and put it up at the local record uh, store. And so I'd be going down there every week and being like, what's on Dave's list this week? Man, what do I have money to buy? Uh, see, like Dave's like, He's, he's going to pull out one of these lists now because these things were like the list that everybody in the Bay Area used to pick out. To actually, they'd all turn into Dave's show and they'd all go in, in into Leopold's, the record store, uh, on the so weekend. Find, find they, these, were, these were them. They, they eventually became the KML Beat Report and the Bay Area Beat Report, but these were these little newsletters that I would do. Um, there's a whole book of them. So this one was when I actually, yeah, this is the, this is, this would have been a typical one. 
that we did. Yep. And those are the ways that we found out about like all the new records that were coming out. Um, local artists as well as artists in New York and LA and Texas and everything. Um, and, and DC. And so that was, that was the bomb. Wow. So, so I'm gonna have to pull y'all back just a little bit. Cause y'all, you, sure, you, sure. over high school, you, you, uh, cause I wanted to know, um, hopefully my Wi-Fi, my Wi-Fi looks like it's acting up. All right. Oh, okay. So it looks like my Wi-Fi is back. So I want to know, um, when back 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 in elementary maybe moving into middle school are there are there adults are there family members who are encouraging this work that you all are beginning to create this this process that you all are beginning to develop are there adults that are around you that that see something or even older relatives or younger relatives who see something and encourage it do, do you remember maybe someone from your childhood who did that oh dave you muted my my mom was the biggest encourager you know she was the one that was like write down take you know take hold and and you know pursue what you are doing uh my godmother my aunt avilia um who taught me tennis and you know was the one that was <laughs> like took me down to 125th street and, and well actually didn't take me down gave me you know, my Malcolm X records, right? Which I have, which I use a lot in my work. And I have all those original records sitting up on my wall as we speak. Um, gave me, you know, this Dr. King record where he talks about black power and the power of black radio, you know, all this rare stuff. So she was the one that was like, yeah, you, you should have this and you should listen to that and you should have these things. So, um, and she was also very encouraging as well. So there, there were definitely elders in the community that um, that were around that that you know um, pushed and and wanted us to be the best that we could possibly be. And there were others, but I don't, I wouldn't want to name drop like that. Um, but you know, there were there were some pretty significant folks in our community that um, I think you know played 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 a role in in, in kind of. You know, not just with me, but with everybody around us, to 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 really step up and 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 and, and go further. And 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 I and I just want to emphasize that because I think um, a lot of times we talk about the uh, the hood, and it's often depicted in a deficit. And we often forget that within the hood, there's a lot of brilliance there. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, folks that kick you game and game is more than just standing on a street corner and hustling, but game is how do you navigate the situations that you're in? Um, you know, coming up, it was very racially charged. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of hatred for us. And so um, understanding blackness, understanding culture, understanding how to, you know, um, how to engage folks was important in having a sense of uh, a very confident sense of where we come from was was paramount and and i think was um you know instilled in us as a matter of survival and as a matter of just you know this is what we do <laughs> yeah um first a, a shout out to dr hicks harper good to good to see you uh on the on the on the cast um 
Yeah, I uh, I was blessed as well with many many teachers who kind of looked out after me and kind of recognize um, oh you know he likes to write he likes to draw um, and kind of encourage that so I, I you know I had a, a lot of art teachers um, including um, one of my favorite teachers Dixie Tamanaha um, who's still around actually reconnected and um, had a great great influence um, on me um, and you know and my and and then family you know just like like Dave like lots of family lots of elders lots of folks around I had a cousin who was uh, just big into collecting records he ended up becoming a DJ and a radio DJ himself um, and I just I couldn't wait to go to his house you know every week because I could just play all the latest records he had somehow he had gotten all the latest records um, had some of the first rap records and some of the first, you know, punk rock records and all those kinds of things. And um, he was like a musical education um, for me. But yeah, definitely, like it's it's that it's those networks of folks who look out after you and um, help you to kind of show you what the paths are that you might be able to to take. David, do you, do you remember when you uh, first began to DJ? I did. Well, when I first began to DJ, probably was when I moved out to California. I started out as an MC. And if uh, my DJing, my DJing, if anything, was more pause button tapes. So if you want to ask when I made my first pause button tape, it probably had to be the year that, um, to be real, Cheryl Lynn's record came out. Because that was the first record that I paused button. Yeah, was that in the 19th century or or the no, 20th? No, century? That was 1978, my brother. Okay, Got it. <laughs> right. And you were yeah. you were like 25 then or something, right? Something like that, minus yeah. 15. So there you go. But no, it was uh, it was you know, um, it was pause button tapes, and uh, and by then you know I was trying to collect you know, um, these records because, you know, by, by 78, we were hearing and we were seeing this thing called hip hop. And, you know, um, certainly I wasn't going to go into the house and take my father's turntable and cannibalize that. That would, I wouldn't be here if I had done that, (laughs) but, um, but he did allow me to use the tape recorder (laughs) to play. So, uh, Cheryl Lynn's to be real, um, Craftwork, Trans Europe Express. Um, what was the other record that we had? Uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra. Those are some of the early ones that I remember. Uh, pause buttoning. And I still have those tapes, believe it or not. Um, and, and then, and the reason why I did that wasn't because I was trying to DJ. I did that so when I could, um, I could, you know, practice rhyming over it. And, and that's why I started out was more as an MC. And the original name was MCDC. And at the time, people said, you don't want to call yourself MCDC, you know. Um, so it, we changed it to Davey D um, eventually. But the first rhymes in my, in my rhyme books, which I still have, it's MCDC. And then it was later Bronx Prince, Davey D. Uh, I'm so glad that I'm not on camera while these stories are being told because I'm over here cracking up with, with, with the stories. So you talked about um, meeting in college. Can, so can we come up to that point? Like, what what did you all, where'd you all go? What'd you study? Et cetera. 
We went to the greatest university on the face of the earth, which was UC Berkeley, Cal Berkeley. Um, we went there at a transformative time. We were there in the middle of the apartheid divestment movement. Um, definitely was a part of that. We were there when they had shanty towns. People talk about the Occupy, you know, thing, but we saw Occupy before it was Occupy when people built shanty towns up on Sproul Hall. Um, we were there when uh, Pedro Nogueira was making history and, you know, and uh, being elected as first black president. And it was a brother from, uh, what was it, Ghana? Uh, Ghana, you know, that was doing big things. He unfortunately passed. Um, but we were there at a magical time. There was a lot of folks that came out of Cal, you know, that either uh, um, bled over into our years or, you know, or we're just coming out. So Ricky Vincent was coming out. He was ahead of us. You know, the late Natty Prep, you know, um, comes out of there. You know, then later you had Benny B from ABB Records is in our class and Defari. And there's a whole lot of folks that, that are coming out, you know, at that time. And uh, so Cal is a, a big thing when, when we were there and you know, we were part of forming a, a party, which I think still exists there, called Cal Surf. Mm -hmm. um, I picked the uh, green color, the green neon color. I don't know if they still have it, but you picked it. I picked it. <laughs> That's not the story I heard, but I, I'll go with it. I'll oh, with I will. It. I definitely picked that They're, green neon color. Still using it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, most definitely did. Parties in, in college, yeah. and we were the progressive party. Yeah, we were the progressive. Party, so. Yeah. Yeah, we were, um, I mean... And one, one thing, oh, one thing yeah, right. because, you know, Mozzie's in D.C. Yeah. I was going to go to Howard. And the only reason why I didn't go to Howard was twofold. There were two reasons. One, they wanted $5,000 after financial aid. And at the time, I was not 18, right? Um, my mom. So my mom was still my legal guardian. She had already moved out here. And she was like, you're not going to go to Howard. You're going to go to UC Berkeley, which at the time was $200 a semester. Yeah. It was something like that. It was like $200 a semester. Yeah. It's like, why would you go to Howard and pay $5,000 when you can go right here and, you know, and pay $200? And it's like, well, mom, I think I want to go here. And then she exercised, well, I'm still, you know, your legal you know, guardian, I'm, you know, so you're going to go to Cal. So I was forced to go to Cal and it became the greatest university ever. It, 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 it became the greatest university ever. Um, I cut that, Dave. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. Like we were there at a the time, I actually don't know how Dave and I graduated because between us doing our activism during the day and then doing radio at night, like, I don't know when we got our, our work done. Um, but we did and and it was it was it was a pretty amazing time we you know there was so much stuff that that kind of happened and it wasn't the kind of thing where there was a lot of i mean you know it was a it was an era where there was it was really conservative uh, yeah. and yeah. so you know we were the resistance and the opposition and it wasn't um a time where there was a lot of people um in the beginning who are parts of these social movements like there is now where you have 25 million people in the streets. Um, we were building that. And so it was, it was amazing for us to be able to see that happening where, you know, one day you got a rally of 
a couple hundred people fighting against apartheid and then the next day there's like 10,000 people out there um, and you you know that you're a part of something that's bigger um, and and also like radio like for real like people like Natty Prep people like Dave um, I was on the, the same radio station but I would I live down here um, in South Berkeley where I do now and literally like on the weekends and I don't I don't play like more people were listening to Calyx and um, Black Radio um, in in the neighborhood that I lived in than we're listening to any of the mainstream radio stations. Um, so that was like the network. And so when Dave got up and played like a Malcolm X record with like a hip hop record underneath, un underneath it, like literally everybody up and down the block um, was listening to it. And that was just, it was just a powerful feeling and, and knowing that that was kind of getting transmitted at that time we were building that we were but, that, but that was the whole build you know that came out of natty prep that came out of cj flash cj flash you know, big big mm -hmm. shout out to him you know mm -hmm. um so the, the and, and and to get those shows um just to contextualize we're in school during the reagan era mm -hmm. right and people need to understand that reagan is looked at as this fuddy-duddy you know wholesome you know the gipper you know almost like some grandfatherly type of figure reagan was a beast and yeah. he was he was somebody who i have a visceral reaction to reagan was somebody who was talking about people being redrafted remember we had to fill out the selective service cards and, yeah. uh, and reagan and the, and the reagan you know the reagan um era which I think we still feel the footprints of, um, was very palatable. You know, it was during that time you started to see the fights to end uh, affirmative action. You know, we we're starting to see all those changes early on under that uh, president. Um, so, you know, I, you know, we we sometimes we look back nostalgically, and you know, and there is a lot of nostalgia, but you know, I also look back and remember that. That dude that sat in the White House, Ronald Wilson Reagan, was a real devil, you know, and you can quote me on that. He was somebody who was not your friend. He was somebody who um, was very bad if you were black. It was very bad if you were a person of color, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I think KRS summed it up in his song, uh, yeah. I'm curious, is, is a lot of the discussion has been about the things that you all did outside of the classroom. Were there, were there professors or courses that you all were taking, books you got introduced to in college that helped to shape the, the, the activism that you all were doing in the streets, the, the music you were presenting to, to your audiences? There were great professors there. I had Harry Edwards as a professor, right? Uh, big debate with Harry Edwards in, in the class. Um, about Francis Cress Welsing, who I was turned on, and you know, and he didn't agree with her theory, and I had to argue that, and we had a big debate for about forty-five minutes. You know, um, I got an A in the class, so that was good. Um, <laughs> so just so y'all know, Harry Edwards is Colin Kaepernick's like mentor. He's well, he was, yeah. I don't know if was, they, yeah, were, yeah, yeah. But um, so you had Harry Edwards. Um, the the one that really was the transformative person on that campus was a professor named Roy Thomas. Mm -hmm. Roy Thomas was uh, 
the saving grace for a lot of black students that were there. You know, so, you know, big shout out to, to Professor Thomas. That's one of the reasons in the book I dedicated that because he was the one that encouraged and was like, hey, man, you, you should one day write, you know, and, you know, and then he did that with Ricky Vincent and a bunch of other people. He was that, 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 that black figure on the campus that would make sure um, that, that things were good. There was a bunch of people, uh, names I don't always remember that were, you know, supporter, supporting folks. Um, there was a guy, I'm going to remember his name is Muaga from um, African, African People's Party or something like that. He was a powerful figure that you always saw on the campus and would be one of those people that would, you know, lace you with cultural game. Um, but, you know, Roy Thomas was probably, you know, probably most important professor on that campus as far as I was concerned mm -hmm. when I was going to school there. And we also had Ron Takagi with another mm -hmm. towering figure, right? Uh, Ron Takagi, what is it? Iron, Iron, Iron Claws? Iron what was the name of the book? Iron Cages. Iron Cages, yeah. So, yeah. so we had some folks up there. Had some folks, man. Um, my very first, in my freshman year, I took an Asian American studies class and we read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, in, in our Asian American studies class. And that just uh, turned my whole thing around. Like I came in, I was gonna go into business. I was gonna do this, I was gonna do that. And that very first class um, introduced me up to a whole new world. And, and you know, I, I, that was about the same time I think that I might've met Dave, that was my freshman year. Um, and uh, started doing the radio station. So. You know the the it was all kind of together like you'd read you read some of these books the autobiography of malcolm x you read like um uh, what were some of the other uh big books of the time um we would read martin luther king we would read all these different types of things and then we would go onto the radio station and we had this uh, radio show called amanda where we talked about what was going on in south africa and what was going on in oakland um and uh, like right now, what's going on in Oakland, Dave? Man, you got all the sirens going on back there. I know. I'm looking there. All the, you know, I have a window that looks out on the freeway, and all the traffic is stopped. So oh. that's what. Yeah. So I'm seeing police cars and about. Yeah, I think that's probably the fourth fire engine that just rolled by. So I don't know what's going on here. It was always something going on in Oakland. Um, yeah. Yeah, but we, you know, we we it was that was the thing is we learned a lot about community. Um, in our classes and then we got to practice that like on the campus and in the community and on the radio um, so that was that was a uh, it was all kind of an education all, all of that kind of flowed together for us yeah and the, the follow-up question that is did your journalism start while you were in college or did that happen afterwards the, the, the need to tell the stories um, of what was happening in your communities when did that start? My journalism happened by accident. You know, um, I often tell people, and this is very true, I don't like writing. I really don't. Um, <laughs> you should have told me that before we did this book together, man. I, I know, but it, it, it's like, <laughs> you know, I try to write quickly to get it done and keep it moving. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I'm not. Writing, writing's fucking, oh, excuse me. Writing is hard, man. Writing is right. difficult. Yeah. But but the way that it started for me was when I got the show 
on Calyx and you know to get a show up at that station were, were hard fought pitch battles especially if you were black there was no uh, there was no love for us to play black music on that station um, the show that you know that I came out of was started by a guy named Natty Prep who had to go to the California State Legislature and fight to get a spot that three hour block on Sunday mornings that started out as called Music for the People and then he brought everybody in and it also had to be that he was a rough and tumble guy and him and there was another guy that was there that literally had to um, you know the, the story goes they had to pull guns like we're not leaving this station right and so that's how those shows got established they were not given to us they were not you know handed over these were things that people fought for those spaces and they became cultural zones um i was probably coming out of that that, that show was able to break into you know out of that 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 little three-hour block because of a guy named billy jam who did some very um you know innovative stuff so that i would be approved <laughs> it, it, which was he um, invited me as a guest on his show and then didn't show up, which meant that I had to uh, man the board and uh, and and which meant that I got approved of a of a prime time pl- uh, time slot. So I wound up getting an evening slot, and it was when I got that evening slot, which was the first time that had happened for Black folks ever. Um, I I decided instead of writing a and started making a flyer. Why don't I do a record chart? And that record chart would also include me writing about some of the songs that I were playing and would put them in the record stores. And that garnered a lot of response. And then um, the journalism kind of kicks in um, this way. I uh, the, the station had a stamp machine, you know, and what I would do is I would go in there early or on the weekends and I would fill up you know would would stuff these envelopes with these uh playlists and whenever i saw anybody i would take their address can i get your address and i would mail them this playlist so i mean you know we had a big list of maybe about five six hundred people and the way i would get people's addresses i would look on the back of the records and i'd be like oh you know let's write to this company let's write to that company one of the people who i wrote to was a gentleman by the name of carlton ridenauer better known as chuck t and he hit me back and started a friendship and and chuck was probably the one to really encourage me on a journalism tip to really stick with the writing in ways that i you know that i have today it was like that's how i met him you know is because he got this this uh newsletter with colored paper and a black envelope you know with their song on it and me writing about the song and he 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 really stayed on me to to do that at the same time He's also staying um, staying on another guy by the name of Harry Allen <laughs> to also continue in that path. So th- there was that encouragement, but the writing opened up doors. It, it's how I got my radio career in career in, in media um, was because I had a writing. I had something tangible that people could look at. And those newsletters were, were real godsends. They filled the void at the time. Um, it, it allowed me to have conversations in spaces that I normally wouldn't. It, um, you know, it was a way to, uh, um, I wouldn't say curry favors, but people were very appreciative if their songs were on there. So through those newsletters, I met Tom Loke and Young MC 
you know, I think because Tone Loke was on there to help get him signed, you know, uh, the folks from Tommy Boy, I met Digital Underground, all these people because of those newsletters. And and that's what kind of said, well, you better stick with it. And, uh, and door has been opening because of it. But it was out of necessity, not out of, you know, I want to be a journalist. And, uh, and Dave really influenced me. Um, I started writing for, I actually, I was doing, I was writing some political stuff. I had a, I had a column in a, a local like Asian American uh, newspaper. I was writing about activist issues and um, was also doing some writing for, for the radio station. They had a newsletter too, that they sent out. Um, and I did a story on, did a story on graffiti in the Bay Area, which was kind of blowing up at the time. It was like the golden moment of Bay Area graffiti, like in the mid eighties. Um, and, and, uh, and then did a story on Sway. Uh, Sway was like this DJ Sway and tech had, uh, this show, uh, called the wake up show that they were getting started at the time. They had a, they had a rap crew as well. I did a story on them too. And that became, um, my thing into into doing a lot more writing um i stuck with the writing though uh dave was doing the radio stuff i kept on doing radio um but i really branched out and did a lot more writing uh afterwards um and dave's right it's hard it's it's a real it's a real difficult thing but it was one of those things where when you when we wrote it was a way to be able to build community and we we're finding all the all the kinds of like minds out there and like folks that we could do all kinds of work with and you know artists um uh, musicians djs um just you know all kinds of folks and so i ended up like forming a crew and we put out a bunch of records and that's the sort of sign you see in the background soul sides um that was that was one of the things that kind of was an offshoot off of the stuff that i learned watching dave um and uh hanging with dave and uh, all of the folks who were doing this kind of stuff at the time um, and just being inspired by all of the energy that folks had uh, to be able to change the world. And you, and you know, in the Bay Area, there's a, a hustle mentality, you know, so I often say born in New York, but raised, uh, raised in the Bay. And what I mean by that is that the Bay Area, if you looked at it as a character, understands a few things. It's 3,000 miles away from New York, so it's not looking to New York for any sort of cues. When I came out here and I was like, I'm from New York, and people be like, So? You know, you know I, I, had a, I, think I, I think I have a friend that's from New York. That was a very different response than when you live on the East Coast and you right. went up and down the coast yeah. and you said you were in New York, and it was like, Oh, wow, what's, you know, but out here people are like, You know, I, I, think, my, my, I think I had an uncle that went there one year, you know, so there was no. Uh-huh. fascination and LA is the next bigger you know big big entity and the bay is not LA and it's very very clear it's an independent like we are our own thing so as a result the bay mentality has always been like you got to do for self mm-hmm. because you're not you're not flying across country 3,000 miles and you're not trying to be like LA so you always look at situations and you figure out how can I flip this? So, you know, the whole thing with the newsletters, the flip, the, the Bay Area flip would be, I could, I could, you know, walk around and ask people, 
give my number to people, say, here, my name is Dave. Here's my card. But, you know, and you're not thinking like Bay Area stuff. You just be like, how can I flip this? You know what? I'm going to take your number because now I have your address and I can hit you up and I can offer you something, not the other way around. So I'm not going to be sitting at a phone, you know, in front of a phone waiting, you know, with bated breath for a phone call. I can be proactive. And so that sort of mentality of always looking at how can I get in this door? What's it going to take? Can I go through the back way? Can I go through the other side? Can I go below? Can I, can I, can I, can I uh, bust through the door? And so those are the things that, you know, become part of the DNA out here, um, which in many ways is a, is an essence of, of hip hop in a big way, but it, it, it's really, you know, to me refined out here, you know, do for self independently. And I'll just close with this. I didn't have no computer when I was doing those newsletters. So how do we get the newsletter computer? We went to Cal and I asked to borrow <laughs> the news, you know, a computer, you know, from the library or something. And it was a guy that was working, you know, the thing. And he's like, man, here, you could use this, this Mac. And, you know, that Mac came to the house and, uh, you know, I did my newsletter there. You know, I, it, it was returned eventually, but, you know, <laughs> But, you know, it's looking to figure out how you could do it because, you know, I didn't have no money to buy a Macintosh, you know, but we were going to do this newsletter. So it's that understanding. It's like, man, you need a Mac, man. Hold up. Let me let me go in the back. Hey, you know, nobody's using this Mac up here in the library. You know, just don't tell them you got it for me and, you know, return it, you know, in about six, seven months. And, you know, so we had that computer. Bay Area Hustle. Bay Area Hustle. All that work got done. No doubt. So, so we've talked about college, we've talked about family, all that good stuff. So as we get ready to wrap up, I wonder how you think that all those experiences catapulted you into the literary, the lecture, the media careers that each of you has built. How do you feel like those things set you up to be able to do the kind of work that you do today, whether that's political, whether that's um, historical, academic? How, how do you feel like all those things help to make you who it is that you are today? Jeff, you go. I mean, just to, just to build on what you were talking about, Dave, like it's that sense of, of independence and hustle and integrity, right? Like this, the, the thing about it is, is all of this stuff was always done with this idea that we were, we were doing it to try to make things better for our folks. And still are that's that's sort of what drives uh what it is that we do and um so you know like the, all the paths that my parents had figured out for me and that kind of thing like those kind of went to the wayside as 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 it became clearer and clearer oh actually i've got some skills in these kinds of things and i got some interest in these kinds of things and i'm making a difference um and i think that that's something that um that uh kind of ended up pushing pushing me but you know the the here we are now right we're here all these years later dave's still older than me um but we're you know we're we're like old friends um and the reason that we've stayed so tight over the years is um that we have the same kind of idea about what it is that we want to do and we came through the same kind of circumstances together you know we went through the fire together 
And um, and so that's all, that's what I would really want to say to 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 all the folks who are coming up is you know find your folks, and then when you get with them, like you're sticking with them because these are the folks that you'll be with, you know, for life and 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 for you know for all the things that you're going to be doing together, for all the people that you're going to be doing it together for. Um, and you like Dave lifts me up, you know. Sometimes I lift him up, but he's kind of heavy. So it's not hard. I need some help sometimes, um, but we look out for each other, you know, and um, and that's I think what it's all about. Like I I feel honestly like really privileged to have been able to to meet this meet this dude when I when I was like a wee child and needing some somebody to look up to and and uh, and and feel like blessed to be able to still be down now. So I appreciate that. Um... Let me let me just say this, uh, Mazi, and for people listening, um, it's about accountability as well. And you know, I tell the joke about somebody got me a computer. Well, don't waste my time. You know, if I get you this computer, man, you got to produce. Yeah, make it. You happen. know, you you got to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Because you know we're 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 taking a chance on you. We're making an investment in you. You know, if Billy Jam kicked down the door so I could do that prime time show, man, don't don't be. First of all, don't mess up on my airwaves because mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to have you be there. So come with your A game, and then you know continue to shine. Uh, if you're doing it on your own and you're coming out of that 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 nexus with folks who literally had to fight you know, physically and legislatively to get a show, you cannot be the person that screws up. You can't be that guy because first of all, you're going to see these folks and you don't want to disappoint them. And some people ain't going to take too kindly because like, dude, you know, there's a lot of people that want to do what you're doing. How Mm -hmm. dare you Mm -hmm. screw up on our behalf? And the point that I'm making is that, you know, none of us are islands on our own. We are the culmination of people who saw the best in us and brought out the best in us and, you know, expected us to bring our A game at every turn. So there was an accountability line, not just with family, there's an accountability line with friends and community folks. Um, There was an accountability line with my church. You know, there was an accountability line of, you know, maybe it might have been an Alex Mahir who brought me Sway and Tech and everybody up to KML, you know, when we started doing commercial radio. How dare, how dare any of us, you know, slip up and, and make them look bad. It's kind of like the shout out, you know, um, when you acknowledge the people that, that push you, they want to be able to say, yeah, that's my dude. You know, um, I'm, I'm proud of what he did. You don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, shout out to Jeff. And they're like, that's your man over there. That's your homeboy. The, the dude that has scandal attached to him. The one that does subpar work, the guy who, you know, every time you turn around is is an embarrassment. And so I think you have a certain amount of pride. You want to show up and show out, you know, for your people, not in an egotistical way, but because you represent them. And, you know, there, there was always a promise with the communities that I wrote with, like, I'm not going to make you look bad, you know, and, you know, and as you get older, and you know you have married you know now married and have kids you know you don't want to walk in the house and have your wife and kids look at you and be like is that your dad no you don't ever want to 
fall down. And, and what I mean by falling down, we're not talking about, oh, you're unemployed or you don't have money in the bank or anything like that, because those are things that we don't always have control over. We're talking about, do you have the integrity? You know, are you giving it, you know, your 100%? Are you uh, uh, something that people can be proud of? Or are you an embarrassment, you know, in terms of what you do? You don't want to go out no, like no sucker at the end of the day. And so I think, you know, um, you know, I'm a product of New York, the Bronx, and I'm a product of Oakland, California. I don't want to let either one of those communities down because there are people in both places and especially here that would hold you accountable. You don't want to see those folks and be like, man, you know, you made us look bad. I don't want to be that guy. Somebody else can hold that mantle. We're going to continue the legacy of excellence that came before us and, uh, and, and invest in people coming behind us so that they can continue with that as well. That was the official mic drop comment of the, of the whole talk. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Like, I, I got to step my game up. I got to. I got to do better. Oh. I got to do better. No, no, no. Not, not, not just because you know, there's because of what you said, but because, like you said, there's so many people that have done so much mm. to make whatever it is we're doing possible. So all of us, regardless of how good or we're not so good we're doing we can still do better we can still do more i want to thank you both for spending this hour with us um oh, thank I you so much about each of you thank you so much for your time for your generosity and spirit um if you're just tuning in it's actually going to be archived you can check it out on youtube on facebook and yeah this was amazing thank you so much for being a part of the inaugural words beats in life alternative winter break thank you so much everybody peace this podcast was produced by Executive Director Mazi Mutafa. Post-production by Rhythm Lingo Music. Past episodes can be streamed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Mixcloud. Words, Beats, and Life podcasts are produced through funding from partner grants and in-kind donations from people like you. Visit wblinc.org donate to make a contribution. <laughs>